Welcome to Roll Call, a Columbia Heights Police Department podcast. I'm your host, Will Rattler, Communications and Engagement Coordinator with the City of Columbia Heights. I'm here today with Officer Moe, Officer Troy, and we have a very special guest, um, Willie Brazil. Willie is the head boys basketball coach at Columbia Heights, and uh, we're here to talk basketball, leadership, mentorship, everything in, in between. Um, so first off, Willie, how are you? T- how are you today? I'm doing good. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming out. Um, Roll Call has been a podcast for a couple of years now. Um, meet with community members, and you've been in the Columbia Heights community for what, almost 17 years or yep. something? Long time. Yeah. Awesome. Um, awesome. So we'll we'll start with Mo and Troy. What do you What do you have for a coach here? Uh, well, first I want to start off congratulations. You know, on a 20 year coaching career. Uh, with boys basketball. I just wanted to ask, like, how has that been for you? How's the journey been? And what was your greatest takeaway from the, these last 20 years? Well, I think it's the connection with student athletes. It's always been that for me. Um, when we went to our first state tournament, pictures come out of the woodwork. And that was back in 2011. And they compared me to my high school career, if you will. But more of that came from some of the pictures I received was someone gave me a picture. And I want to say I was 14. It was the first team I ever coached, and it was a pic- and the, the picture came from a referee who I recognized him, but I never remember that he was on that first team I ever coached. So I think it's things like that that I get back. It's players returning. Our success rate with the players that I have coached has been very high. They all hear us talk about school, education. Uh, so I think the biggest thing I take away is my connectivity to the youth that leave, that I've hopefully had some impact with them from uh, their career. May it be as an example, may it be, be even a disciplinary situation that they would say, oh, I learned that from him. So that's been the biggest impact I think I've had is my connectivity to the players, ex-players. Um, so we had a lot of conversation before we started the podcast and stuff. So um, there's a list of questions that we have here, but I'm going to, this particular question kind of um, catched my eye so just wondering what uh, leadership style do you have and have you ever had like a mentor growing up oh heck yeah and uh, uh-uh. um, you know what what does it mean having a, a mentor well one of the mentors I had which is ironic was my high school coach was a gentleman by the name of Edward Prohoski in Minnesota uh, well I graduated in 1978 from high school, so I'm dating myself from that perspective. So uh, Coach Prohoski used to coach with the Timberwolves, and then he coached with the Lynx. But he was like my mentor for my love for the game of basketball, being my, my high school coach. But other mentors, too, were people who I grew up with. And I think peers are the most important factor. I had like four or five guys that I grew up with, all college educated, all have done well. I think those were really my mentors because it's who you migrate to. I say it to my players all the time. It's the friends you keep. The mentors have, mentors are going to show you the right way of doing it, but in reality, it's that buddy you leave your house with. That being said, I'll give an example. Uh, I coached a season when I left Columbia Heights at uh, Bloomington Kennedy. We went 0-26. And every year I would call what I refer to as my mentor was Ed Prohoski. His questions to me were real simple. Did you change the way you coach? No. Did you change the way you taught the game? No. What well, tells you you're not really a, a, you're not a bad coach, but you're also not a great one. You lost every game doing the exact same things. So when I say what a mentor does for me 
is keep me grounded. I didn't want to think that I couldn't coach, but dang, we did everything we could and still lost. We went 0-26. I uh, politely thought that the Bloomington Kennedy needed to change. And uh, at the same time, I was in Florida, and the principal from Columbia Heights gave me a nice, polite phone call and said, um, you know, would you ever consider coming back? And I did. But I'm saying that to say it was say it was my mentor, it was Prohoski who grounded me because I was at you know the point where maybe I shouldn't coach anymore, and that's hard for a person who loves the game. But just the example he gave me that you didn't change anything, you but, and he gave me one last piece of that. When's the last time you made a layup in regulation? Oh, 1983, Hamlin University, man. So you still ain't gonna score no matter how many games you coach. So. I don't know if that really answers your question, but uh, I but I just threw that in there for the mentors. I think our peers are more important. Oh yeah, none of us, you know, find ourselves where we at in lives without people who, you know, guided us and stuff. And the point of having a mentorship. Yeah. You've been coaching for 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a 2008 grad of Columbia Heights, and we talked a little bit about before the podcast, and uh, we're recording on February 22nd. Last night, you were at the uh, Coaching Heights against Fridley, yep. at Fridley, I should say, and uh, we talked about alumni coming back. What's it like you know, growing up um, and seeing these players become young men and raising families of their own? Um, for this podcast, I listened to your uh, uh, podcast through Health Partners mm-hmm. um, and the work you do there. And you talked about your family life growing up and how does that impact the role you play in, in these young men? For well, them growing I think up? My, my life, uh, a lot of people assume things. I, I am also, and I say product because I think when the people hear the word North Minneapolis, the second thing they think of is crime. The other part is, is you rarely will hear the good things that come, come out of it. And that's not a negative statement. It's a fact. I mean, uh, if we look at the newspaper today or yesterday, I think there was a shooting in North Minneapolis yesterday. So that's what people say first. I'm proud that I'm from North Minneapolis. At the same time, when I affect the young people that we have at Heights, like last night, every game that we have that's a big game, look behind our bench. And I never tell them they can't. Those are all alumni players behind me. A lot of people think, oh, who are these older guys? No, those are ex-players. And that's the, the best part of it is they don't have any question coming. They, we have to fight them not to come to practice because of liabilities. They still think they can play. They want to come in and show these other players that they can play. But the best part of it is the connection that we have, the history that we have. Um, you can't hide the way you're raised and who you are. So if I change some of them, and that's the best part of coaching is when they come back and say, I said this to them. Now, I will admit in 20 years, I may not remember every conversation I had, but I try to be consistent with the message. And that's, this is what you have to do. It's also why, and it's not a brown nose about having the officers come as part of our program, with our program, uh, that they come every Wednesday. And you have to agree to it. They asked me, did I want to do that? Uh, Yes, I agree with that because it's the image that we want to break. They can't live their life and think that, the enemy is an adult. Even if they're police officers, you can't think that way. So when we're teaching them in practice, we I'd like this year probably have more on-court penalties. When I say that, technicals, uh, pushing, shoving, double T's, players sitting out of games, hard for me. And even uh, I'm going to share with you guys, I had ex-players, man, what's up with you, Brazil? What, what, when did they start doing this? I have to coach them different. 
We've had players the first time in my 17 years actually quit because of disciplinary action towards them. You have to own your behaviors, man. So when other players see, well, we went from, uh, you know, losing players, we're still winning, but I don't want to lose any player. But if you can't handle being disciplined in high school, you're going to struggle college and going further. So that part I won't change. But to me, I'm saying that to state. And going back to the podcast I was on previously with Health Partners is they were focusing on upbringing. Uh, and I don't hide from the fact I was raised by a single woman. Uh, we know it takes two to be here. There was a male that created me, but I can't hide from the fact that I came from a, a family of six that were raised with us. And uh, I'm a middle child, three older, three younger. Uh, and the three older had the same father. I'm in the middle. My father uh, came and left. Simple way I can put it. Don't know him. Uh, don't know, I, you know, we all do the research. I know he's deceased, but that didn't affect me. So for me, wanting to change my life was watching what my mom went through. And it's not to give a speech on being raised by a single person. I didn't, you know, my thing is, it's what you choose to do will change what your life is. So for players that leave the program and come back and they say, I did well, or I did it because I met you and you talked about uh, being, uh, changing your life because you had a parent. The hardest part for me is hearing the way young people today devalue their parent. Now, let me put some definition behind it. We have players now that don't hesitate to talk back to their parent. Heck, I'll date the heck out of myself. That's a violent act in my house. You would have probably got hurt. And this is a, a small woman's small stature, even though I'm a big, we were taller guys with family, but it just wouldn't have been allowed. Today, I have players that have no hesitation in talking back to a parent, but I can't stand it. And, but I can't give them that. So when they're on our basketball team, and I'll also share, and it's not a hidden fact, uh, the high school league only tells a student athlete it's progress towards graduation. So if at home, the parents don't know that it's progress towards graduation, and I don't want to assume that people know. I know we have a limited time. Progress towards graduation means as a freshman, you pass so many classes, you can continue to play sports, all levels. Let me say that slower. You can get Ds in all six classes and be eligible for sports. I asked to have 2.0. Cumulative. Now, do we enforce it for everything? Everybody has different things. You know, there's uh, concessions. There's the 403 rule. There's uh, uh, ESP or EAP. You know, they get support, and I'm supportive of that. But we still are graduating kids without core, with core fundamental learning, and that it's not to knock our school system. It is not. But as a high school coach. And I've had parents this year and almost every year, why nobody's recruiting my son? My question to the parent is, how would you like to me, how do you like me to approach that coach? Now you guys know, what's the first question coming out? What's his grades? Next would be behavior. But to get a division one or division two scholarship, it's 2.3 cumulative. That means all your courses. So when we're talking to him or being disciplined, I'm trying to tell him, you got to pick that book up. They're going to watch your behavior. Prime example, last night for Fridley, we, we knew there would be talking, pushing and shoving. But I tell them somebody's watching you. 
But how do I tell that story if you don't have your GPA at a certain level? And I'm a, you know, long-windedly to answer your question, I'm a disciplinary coach. So they know I don't want that behavior. I, I've, uh, in my, uh, what's the, the basketball movie where the guy was? Coach you know, Carter. Coach Carter. I'm not Coach Carter. I've been nicknamed other names, but, but it's because I think at some point you got to make a stand with it. But most players, I think, and I shouldn't say I think, they come back, say, you were the best thing to happen to me. And the most say it is those that go to play college basketball. I don't care if it's junior college or they go do intramurals, which they don't have a coach, but they learn that those discipline, the things that we tried to tell you were fundamental, discipline things, be to practice on time, be in class, uh, don't do behaviors, poor behaviors in the hallway because that's going to have a consequences on the basketball court. You can't show up at school third hour. You don't get to practice that day. Oh, they test it. I got a text this morning. Please check your players. Make sure they're in class today. We play tonight. If you're not registered or in class by third hour, you can't play tonight. I don't even know if I was able to answer your question. <laughs> no, no worries. You, you, you did. You did mention about the the partnership with the police department. Um, That's important. Uh, guys, Mo and Troy, talk a little bit about the the partnership with the police department and the Columbia Heights uh, basketball program. Yeah. So for this year, this would be the second year. Yep. Um, not in a row, but we did it previously. But uh, this year we started up back the mentoring program with the uh, boys varsity varsity and JV team coach Willie Brazil reached out to him he approved it and uh, basically what it is we all meet on Wednesdays uh, we bring food we eat together and each Wednesday we have a topic of discussion that's relatable to them being a student athlete um, the topics include like leadership communication uh, college um, opening career opportunities, open their perception to different careers and different college opportunities. We've brought in special guest speakers. Uh, I think we brought in a lawyer. We brought in previous student athletes to talk about the schedule and how rigorous it is, um, you know, going from that jump to a high school student athlete yep. to a college student athlete. And uh, overall, it's just a great relationship building tool. I think we made a lot of progress um, on the first day. We couldn't get them to say three words. <laughs> and now we play two ball yeah, and be yes, yelling yeah. at each other yeah, and yeah. they see us in the hallways and yeah. out and about and now they speak. And so I would say that uh, it's been a pretty successful program. And, you know, to continue to build on our relationship, we attend all the home games and provide, you know, that support to them as well as to the school administration if something was to happen. So we appreciate you for that. And I think the relationship has been remarkable. When they ask me, <laughs> how can they get out of practice on Wednesdays, right? Because we've been, originally we would go later at 5 p.m., but I lost players. Well, and some of our players are working during the day. So we had to accommodate it. We were practicing at 3.30, so we let them go to the mentorship program, and then we come to practice. They come to practice afterwards. So it's a joint uh, venture together. And it's been, I think it's made a positive impact. But for me, it was to... I, I won't hide from the fact. I, I thought it was a great connectivity to dispel the connotation that the police are bad. I, I don't have any problem with saying it because I think for these young kids, that's what they, they hold on to that. And then we have officers like Troy and Mo, and I'll say it respectfully, that looks like them. So you, you put a human connectivity to it. And these guys have heard me say that in practice. I said, because some of my best friends are police officers. And they, oh, really, Coach B? Yeah. 
There's no question. Uh, you know, a little history. I was a paramedic with, with Hennepin County for almost 13 years, and they will never understand what it's like to be in Hennepin County as an only black paramedic. Didn't, so, I didn't know that. Man, I know a lot of people don't know. <laughs> that's, that's so, true. you know, it, it's, it would take a lot of people older that would see, and, hey, you're the guy. So, but, but I, I, was, I share that with them on purpose because they have to humanize it. You know, the things they see and hear on TV or I had this situation with Officer X or Y, I'm hoping that even if they get two people to come to the mentorship class, is that two people that will say something positive to five more people versus the negative is going to touch 20? That's why when uh, uh, the principal had approached me early on, he knew there was no hesitation for me. And I get backlash because it, you know, affects practice. But to me, a lot of people want to practice two and three hours. I'm an hour and a half guy. If you can't get it done in an hour and a half with the attention span of today's students, you probably shouldn't be coaching. So, but I just wanted to echo that with them, that there's some, uh, in my, some intent behind backing up the support. Go ahead, Sorry. Uh, no, you're good. I know you mentioned, uh, you know, some of the disciplinary actions, T's, double T's, um, suspensions, quitting, things like that. You've been coaching for a while. You have some great teams. How has the attitude or the morale or work ethic of this today's students, whether it's basketball or outside of basketball, how have you seen that change over the past 20 years until today? Well, again, I think today's students, uh, because of social media, uh, because of the outside influence, they, they believe doing videotapes and showing you doing an and one move is more important. Uh, we've, we, we noticed more reasons to not be there. And be, in the past, and even I'm one of those, you miss practice, you don't play. You, you give me a reason. Your mother or your grandma can only be sick so many times before I'm not going to be here tomorrow because X and Y. They have to hold them accountable to it. So I think there's more of that now than there was in the past. Uh, in the past, and I'll use, we mentioned a young man, and I hope it's okay. Well, I'll just use the first name of Roderick was, he was more, he got more players that he wanted to be at practice because he knew that practice is what was important. If you don't have 10 guys, you can't even do the, you can't put in anything. So what, what the answer to your question is short when it is possible is the effort they put in to not want to be in the practice situation daily. It's, that's probably the biggest change for me and for uh, Coach Jenkins. It's the hardest part for us is players using excuses not to want to be in it, but they'll go to open gym and shoot and do and ones and TikTok and do all that, but they don't want to be in the gym with structure. So you think it is a, do you think it's a result of the loss of love toward the game? Because I know you said back during his year, they were like gym rats, couldn't kick him out of the gym. Couldn't, right, okay. They would be in that gym. They Now, then I almost had to have two-hour practice because they wanted a half hour afterwards to do the, the part of the games you guys were doing, but we would play with them too. And, again, they wanted to be there. Now these guys at uh, 445, are we done, Coach? You know, they're out of there. And, and I, I don't want to say exclusively they don't want to play as much as I just think there's other outside things they want to do. It may be Fortnite or just go home and do 2K. That, that's, that has impact on them. Big time. Um, so we, 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 we kind of touched a little bit about this, um, this situation, but um, can you, if, 
if you had other coaches approach you in regards to the mentorship that we have with you know with the police department and stuff what advice would you give them in terms of like you know the mentorship that you have with the police department i think again my motivation uh and i should share coach jenkins who coaches with me as a probation officer with ramsey county so for him and i we we've worked so much with youth and again i'll stand by it it's to give that opportunity to show the human side of being police officers i think we miss it man and, and I just think for other programs, and we, we say we should branch out, not just boys basketball. It should be soccer. It should be volleyball, maybe volleyball. I mean, it's hard to throw other sports in there because of the numbers. But I just think you, it, and if you as the head of the program says this is what, you get to know them. That's all it is. And, it, and to me, and I know I've emphasized the word humanizing, but it really is. If you pull them over, you're dehumanized. Oh, what is he going to do to me? or if they do something wrong. But I always use this example. You walked into your house when you get home and there's a guy in there that ain't supposed to be, who are you calling first? Then you want him at your door. So you gotta have the same approach when that doesn't fit it. That same person is coming to help you or save your mom or your cousin or your sister. That same guy is who you should be willing to sit down to and talk about something else. That's just my own uh, feeling about it for a lot of different reasons. but. And, you know, and the guys ask me, Coach Brazil, you ever been to jail? You ever done anything wrong? I privately say no. I'm from North Minneapolis. My name, my, my fingerprints is because I was a paramedic and, and work for uh, Volunteers of America, which is a, a reentry system for uh, prisoners. I volunteered with them for years, me and Dietrich. We got compensation for it, but that's what we did. But I say that to state, somebody has to do it. A lot of people always say, how do you do it? I'm also the governor from Minnesota AAU, have been since 1991. Don't get a dime, man. And people always say, why? I said, if we don't do it, well, kids need something to do. So it's to help all the sports. So to me, if Columbia Heights or other schools are saying they should offer a mentorship program with police officers, we absolutely should consider it. You humanize the police, man. And I know there's a lot more. We, we don't have enough time that I could go on, but... I'm just being honest about it. It's a great question, but that's how I feel. And I think we that's yeah, that's where we're missing these days. I mean, I I work in the schools as well too, um, as a um, school resource officer, mm -hmm. and um, I'm in a different role right now, but still involved in the schools. And I re and I sometimes run into this uh, the students, you know, what I mean, um, mm -hmm. outside of schools and stuff, sure. you know, what I mean. Um, and, so, and then just recognize you, you know, what I mean, they know you by name. Mm -hmm. You you're there almost every day at the school. So, you know, it's just that humanizing the police yes. is huge, huge. And that's hopefully we get that back, you know, but yeah. it, it's a work in progress. Yep. And it is. And I, I just want to say I support it 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of mentorship, mm -hmm. I know I recently reached out to you for mentorship, yep. which you was open to uh, as I'm coaching and things like that. <laughs> as far as mentorship goes, how does your, uh, as far as mentoring, how, how has things changed for you? Uh, you talk about high school basketball, going into AAU basketball. Mm -hmm. The first thing you talked to me about when I reached out to you about mentorship was the Periscope Theory. Yep. Can you, can you talk about that? Yeah, I'll the be Periscope glad to. Uh, we got time, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no here's, the Periscope Theory is something, I, I call it the Periscope, Periscope Theory by Coach Brazil. 
Uh, first of all, we have to give the description of what a periscope is. It's a torpedo, captain of the, the torpedo or the submarine goes to, sub, to torpedo depth, or I'm sorry, periscope depth. So then the periscope comes up and it's out of the water. And only thing that captain of the submarine can see is through that periscope viewfinder. That's every single parent watching their student athlete play whatever sport you're teaching. I have a document that I give out to the parents at the beginning of the season. There's a picture of a lady looking through a periscope over a fence in her backyard. I don't even know where I found the picture. But I try to give this example at every parent, parent meeting is you are going to come to our basketball game. It's a 20-minute or two-half 20-minute game or 18 minutes. I gave us two extra minutes. So for 36 minutes, you're going to come and watch Bobby play. I don't have a Bobby on the team, so I'm safe saying Bobby. I get Bobby for hour and a half to two hours, what, the other three days of the week. By then, before you watch them for that 36 minutes, I probably have some idea of their skill set for the sport that I'm representing or teaching. So the periscope theory, I respect the fact, but you're only going to look at Bobby. And believe me, in that periscope, they see when Bobby don't play. They see when Bobby scores, but they don't see any negative with Bobby. Bobby can get a technical, Bobby can, but Bobby's sitting on that bench. They're focused on Bobby. So the Periscope theory is to share them that whatever I've done to Bobby, it's never personal. I've had Bobby more hours than you're going to watch him in a game cumulatively, and it's a positive. It's never personal. I rarely, I think once in my 20-year history have I ever been approached after a game by a parent, and it was the player's uncle that thought, and if I told you guys the whole story, you would laugh. It was my first year at Columbia Heights. We had won eight games. The year before I came, they were 4-22, and 22, and uh, he didn't like the offense I was running, but we had done one eight games already in the season, but he felt his nephew was not getting the ball anymore. By that time, I was playing five sophomores, which included Jacob Thomas, and these guys could play. Two of the guys in your graduating class knew that. One had been playing since he's an eighth grader. He was not as good as the guys I was playing. Again, going back to my point, you're going to try to put the best talent on the floor. If you ask high school students, do I want to win? They're going to tell you immediately, yes. So to give them the periscope theory, I know you want to see Bobby play, but my job is to put the best student athlete on the floor. With that, those that come to the meeting, I never have a problem out of a parent. If you want to talk to me, please wait till after the game. Talk to me the very next day. Don't, don't do it an hour after the game. Both emotions are going to be high, especially if you bench Bobby. It ain't going to change, but usually Bobby's behavior or his play would be the reason that he doesn't play. Learn, learn something today. Was, yeah, right. And speaking of parents, when yeah. I was working at Bethune-Cookman uh, University before I came here, mm -hmm. the basketball coach said when she was recruiting a player, she would go watch the player play one game, and sneak in again for parent. another game and watch the parents and 100%. see how the parents was yelling or cussing or, yeah. you know, acting out towards the ref and things like that. What's your take on that? And have you seen any parents during your time as a basketball coach probably affect the player's scholarship opportunities or ruin any uh, opportunities for them to go to college? Well, full disclosure, I was gone last week 
for three of the tougher games we had, I um, uh, thank you to uh, my wife and I went to uh, Dominican Republic, and so I missed three of the toughest game we played, and one of them was the De La Salle game, and directly the parents affected the officiating of that game, hands down. I mean, when you're screaming and yelling constantly at the referees, and I get called out on it, uh, but it does affect the game when the parents are yelling and screaming. And mo they're not yelling at me. They're yelling at every bad call they see. So I usually stand at the end of the bench, and I get criticized sometimes, even from my own coach. You're not going to say anything. I don't have to. There's 36 people going to yell at that call, and they're usually our parents, but you can't control them. But I have mentioned to them in the parents' meeting as well, you will affect the calls. And uh, lastly, when I tell them in the parents' meeting and I tell my players the reason I don't challenge a call is I'm 100% unsuccessful of changing that call I just argued. Respectfully, I will ask them about that call when I can. But if I act, if I get crazy and challenge a call, pace and call that referee out of the name, I already know the parents are going to join me. So I almost feel like if I don't do it, we get better calls. I wish the parents would subscribe to it, too. We have very active parents this year, especially when you have a dominant group of seniors. Those are, I will also say, seasoned parents. They've seen enough games that they know when they think they see a bad official or not. So I think that, but now parents are three times more involved. There's been some, uh, I would say, stands emptied this year at uh, several high schools. It wasn't the players on the court. It was parents entering the court. And I think that's where we've, what's, what's changed from 2007 to now. I think parents are quick now to go on the floor when their child is hit inappropriately or there's a scuffle. Look out, here comes parents on the floor. That part has changed significantly. And I think that's a big accident waiting to happen. I think it was a, a game before that that happened. Would that be a good plug for any parents interested in making calls to become an official? Because I know they're always looking for officials. They, they, but they won't take the job, even though they make pretty good money. I think it's between seventy-five and a buck twenty-five now per game. That's one hundred and twenty-five. They make good money, but you got to be—you got to have thick skin. And you know, I—I I get it. I've had a lot of parents. You don't seem like you say anything about a call. Well, I haven't been able to change it. All that, and you know, and if you're on the road, you become the bad guy. All of a sudden, all the people are yelling at of the of the home fans are yelling at me. Sit down, shut up, you know. So I don't want to be that guy. Parents can do it all day, and usually now they separate the visiting parents and and the home team parents. They have to. Troy, I think you had uh, another question. Sure. Uh, yeah, I know you mentioned about the players, right? I know you said it's been up and down. Mm -hmm. One game you got. Five players, I know it was a game where y'all was missing three players, six players, seven players. It's been kind of an up-and-down season. How have you continuously motivated the students that have been showing up day-to-day, -day, coming to practice every day, coming to the games? Um, how do you continue to motivate them and build team morale? Well, also, it's harder because you have to reward those that are there. I also am looking at, because we've had a little of both, most of it, unfortunately, this year, with all due respect to the players, won't mention their names. It's been actions that they've done has caused them to be absent from the team. Uh, I will share two technicals in any high school game, according to the Minnesota State High School League rules. You sit the next game. You, let's say you wait that 
next game. In the following game, you get two more technicals for whatever reason it is. You sit four. So also, you know, there's internal disciplinary action from the high school in the event that you have an incident in the school. It will reflect your activity as a varsity player. So an example, if you are in school and you get a suspension, you can't play sports. So there's been numerous times this year where we've had players that are disciplined outside of basketball that it affects our basketball team. So I try to use the old football analogy, next man up, because that's the only way to motivate the other guys is coming because when we don't have the numbers, I wish I could say we have 23 teams, 23 players on varsity, we just don't. There's a very limited number of players, so it's hard. Try to get those guys that normally wouldn't play Here's your chance. Try to keep them engaged and keep them playing. That's the motivation is, hey, it's your turn. And we've been able to do that for a few games. Now, reality will tell you they're not as skilled as the players that they were playing behind. So we have probably a disproportionate share of losses that we probably wouldn't have gotten had we not lost players during the season that we have lost. Uh, it's just hard to replace skilled players with non-skilled players. It's impossible, but... I'm just hoping that it motivates the guys that are not. And a lot of them are underclassmen. We have a, several of the guys that are on our bench are sophomores. So what I'm hoping with them being uh, sophomores, that it's going to affect them the next two years after this. And they got some varsity experience that they probably wouldn't have gotten. Um, so, Coach, um, at the time of this recording, we're in February. Um, what does a Black History Month mean to you? Oh, my, man, I'm... Uh, uh, again, dating myself, uh, I'm a 60s baby, where I was born in 1960. So for me, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, we've made a lot of progress as uh, African-American people, black people, call it whatever you want. But so black history for me is supposed to, or it, it should tell most people the strides we've made. Uh, and if you've lived through it or been involved in it, as long as, you know, being alive, uh, I'm 63. I don't mind people knowing that. A lot of people say I look 40. I'll take it. I'm just kidding. But, but no, I think when you live that long, you're happy with where we are. A lot of people can find negative anytime you want to look for it. You're going to find it. But I think things are three times better than it was. And when I say was, that people say better than what? Because people are going to say, oh, we still have property. You're going to always have that. You know, people are going to say, um, why is the United States helping, uh, you know, the war in Ukraine? Why is the United States putting money elsewhere? Why aren't we helping? Well, I think today, the United, I'm, I'm, I'm biased to the United States, especially when I travel. I was just in the Dominican Republic. I mentioned that. Would I move there tomorrow? Not a chance in heck. You can give me that. Looked at a million dollar house on the hill. You couldn't give me that and tell me to leave. As an American, I just wouldn't want to do that. I think we still have the best life, whether you're black, white, Asian, whatever race. So I think our ability to get an education is still available to us. So black history, if I had my choice, if, if, it, if it, you know, it depends on how you want to look at it, Mo, if I can answer your question. It's what does it mean to you? Not you personally, I'm to all of us. Is it we're celebrating that month to celebrate black people as a whole or should we be celebrating of the strides and, and advances we have made? I mean, it's easy to pick and choose. I mean, people want to say all the inventions that a black 
man or lady have made, we can do that. But to give me a month, I'm not, I'm not really hooked on the month. I, I think I celebrated all 12 months. And I think that's the only way I can view it because I don't want my children to think out of the 12 months or I'm sorry, the 11 months, one month is yours. No, it's got to be that all the time. I, we just had this conversation with my, with my players. And I do it every with every team I have on purpose. Like a Jensi who's been with me since the eighth grade, ninth grade. I mean, he laughs because he knows what's coming. Is I like to ask them what it means, and I like to ask them what does it mean to them, and they look dumbfounded. A lot of them they realize it's Black History Month, but they don't get a day off. They don't get a huge celebration or something. And I tell them, look back, look back, learn something. Uh, I you know to me. I'll, I'll share with you guys. The question is usually this. And you guys, to all of us in this room, are going to think this is nuts. But I ask him, was there slavery in the United States? What do you guys think? Do they think yes or no? I have a lot of players think that it wasn't. So if you have a student athlete that's 14, 15, 16, year old, 16 years old, and they, any, not even one says no, what did we do wrong? Black History Month? No, I think we need to tell them in the third or fourth grade, yes, it was in the United States. Now, I can get deep, and I'm not trying to do that, Mo. I'm going to ask you a question. Black History Month means a lot of things to a lot of people. To me, is if I can ask that question blanketly in public and a person says no once, and we don't want to hype it. You know, I'm not saying it like that. Oh, Willie, come on, man. No. Can we really have a play? Uh, not play forget player. An American in the United States said that it wasn't slavery in the United States. Black History Month? That's not what we should be teaching, man. It happened here in the United States, and it's not a negative. It happened. It's a negative to those that it happened to. My, my family's from Oxford, Mississippi. Can't get any more deeper in the South. They moved here uh, in 57, and um, I wasn't a part of that. I was born in 1960. My older siblings were born in a house. So a part of that podcast was who I am and where I'm from. Uh, I didn't go back there until I, I didn't go. My first trip there was 1978. And, you know, we're spoiled here, man. I, I walked into their houses, man. They was in trailers, man. There was holes in the floor. So, so again, to me, black history is, should be a celebration of where we came from and where we're not right now. That's me. If, uh, you know, you go back uh, with all due respect to you, too, uh, in 1960, you guys wouldn't be officers in Columbia Heights, man. And it's not nothing against Columbia Heights. I don't want... See, people would look, yeah, no. listen to me and no, think, totally. what the hell is he talking about? Totally. The captain's here. No, it's just... But that's, that's an advancement. It's, it's yeah. a fact, yeah. It's, it's advancement. Yeah, so to me, we're celebrating our investments, oh, not yeah. where we need to go or what happened back. We can't change that. It's to educate. Our history is to educate. Black history or black month or if you call it what you want mm. should be to teach that's it yeah you guys never give me a mic man. I, <laughs> okay, man. Uh, I guess i got a couple more lighthearted questions no please go right ahead um what's your favorite part about columbia heights i mean you've been coaching oh gosh, for man. 17 years give or take so there must be something you like about the, the schools the community that you're coaching here that's a great question to ask because as i mentioned earlier i left for three years and uh there was a reason I left because, uh, and, and I wish he could listen to this, Reggie Perkins was the head coach at uh, Bloomington Kennedy, good friend of mine, golfing buddy, hell of a basketball player, graduate of St. Cloud State, played for Harlem Gold Trotters, all that good stuff. And 
And uh, we had just come off of our state tournament run in the next year. And he said, man, Bloomington Kennedy's opening up. Don't you want to coach at a bigger school? I went to Kennedy, bigger school, 4A. Uh, it was arguably, and I don't care if they hear it or not, it was, a, it was, was not Columbia Heights. I never met the superintendent. Uh, I knew the, it was the ex-principal from Heights was the principal of Bloomington Kennedy at the time. So I knew him, but that three years was not Columbia Heights. It was a smaller community. I did a talk for uh, the Basketball Coaches Association talking about just what you're asking me. It was because Columbia Heights was smaller. I knew the superintendent, uh, Kathy Kelly at the time. Uh, I knew all the members of the school board from just being here. It's, it's a small community, but one that was prideful. If you wanted to see pride, our 2011 state tournament run, when they shut down Central and the fire department picked us up at the Target Center and we lost and they brought us back through the community. When they brought us to City Hall and awarded that basketball team, awarded each player a certificate of participation and thanking us, I think they even gave us a day or something like that. You don't get that. We would have never got that at Kennedy. It was the warmness. It was knowing the teachers. And to my surprise, everything that happened in 2011, even though I had left, made me want to come back. It, was the, it, was, it wasn't huge, man. And to walk in the halls or go into the halls of, of Columbia Heights, and, you know, I'll give another example, corny as it sounds. I'm not a teacher at Columbia Heights, but I have a classroom. My basketball players are in my classroom. Where do you get to do that? I'm not, a, I'm not on the staff, but they give me a classroom to put my players in. Why? So I can see all their grades, see all their attendance. I tried that at Kennedy. You guys don't want to know what they told me. And I was on their staff, okay? But that's the warmness. That, but that showed me or told me that Columbia Heights cared about what I care about, and that's turning out student athletes from Columbia Heights. And to now come back and... They just did a special on Channel 4 for one of our graduates that owns a barbershop. I think two or three of them own barbershops. Several more have come back in our teachers uh, at Columbia Heights or in the middle school. I mean, that's important. Matt Burr, people like that 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 are graduates of Heights made me want to come back. It's the warmness. I'm not saying that I may or not if I've stayed at Kennedy for the same length of time, but there's some disparities there. Uh, it's a very large community. They have two large high schools. It's just different. I love to come up, coming back. Do you remember your quote from 2011 about the state tournament run? Oh, heck, man. Uh, that if, uh, let me make sure I got it right. Yeah, I don't want to miss That if you yeah. wanted to rob Columbia Heights, that that, that was the day to do it, you're yeah. damn right. Yeah. We filled it up. In 1718, we filled it up. The guy in Target Center said, you guys have more people here. When we beat De La Salle, in eight, I think it was 18, uh, in the state tournament, KS, the Channel 45 said they never had a bigger audience watch, ever. That says a lot for high school. But I believe that's the quote you're talking about, right? Yeah, they, everybody was there. They, they had older Columbia Heights jackets. Uh, I mean, man, it was unbelievable. Unless you were here, uh, it was the arguably one of the best experiences I ever had. There's no question. And I've played in the state tournament, and I was on the – uh, and I, the players still have to make them go to the record, but was part of the one of the best high school teams in the state of Minnesota. We lost in in, uh, uh, in 77, but that's okay. We don't need to talk about that. But, but I told them it's the best experience you would have, and that's what I'm telling this group right here. Even though what we've been through this year, they still have a chance to go to the state tournament. There's nothing like it. But the reason I keep wanting them to go back 
and there's a group of older guys, and I wish I knew their name. They don't miss a game, man. And I don't think any of this six or seven older guys, white guys, don't miss a game. If you guys want to see them, they're up above the deck. Most of the time, they're on the right, on the fan side, but they're sitting in there in a group, and they're all graduates of Columbia Heights. That's what makes me want to come back. Uh, a few weeks ago, after one of our games, they went to center court, and they're yelling and screaming, Brazil, can you come over? I took another picture with them. I'm just, they were missing one or two of the guys, and I didn't want to ask where they were. They probably are not with us, but they love, they love this community. So do I. And... Uh, uh, you know, again, we've had an up and down year and the principal just talked to him uh, today, you know, and he's kind of was saying, uh, you coming back. And I told him, I said, I'll retire from Heights, but I don't think I'm going to do that right now. Uh, you know, because I, I uh, don't live in Columbia Heights. Um, so he knows I take a nice little trip. He lives in Rosemount itself. Now I'm saying where I live, I don't mind. But it's a nice little drive. But uh, as I told Troy, I drive a Tesla, man, so I don't pay for gas and oil. So. <laughs> Uh, I know you talked a little bit about your age earlier, but mm -hmm. have you hit that point yet where you've coached uh, one of your former players' kids yet? Oh, my gosh. He's a freshman. Uh, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say their names, but one of the players' sons is a freshman this year. Or he's a eighth grader. He'll be a ninth grader. Or is he a ninth grader? He's just really small. But, yeah, they're starting. Uh, talk to Harold Rainey, and his boys are eighth grade. Or he had twins, and I think they're in Coon Rapids. So we're having a transfer conversation just kidding <laughs> but, uh, but if they can play like Harold I'd consider it but yeah and we're, it's starting to happen and that was kind of uh coach Jenkins and I have uh, joked about that you got to really consider it when you start play, coaching their kids man no Troy anything else you've answered all my yeah, questions all I guess the last question would be like Shoot. you said you're 60 yeah. you got years to come what's next for me, uh, well, I work for Health Partners, and uh, my forecast with Health Partners, uh, for those that you guys will find out when you hit to 60, is when do you walk away? Uh, retirement's a different beast that I'm not, I don't know, for basketball, it's always, I think it was when uh, the Alabama coach said it. As a coach, you never lose that drive to want to coach. Um, that's when you should stop coaching. I don't have that yet. And I have a, a pretty good assistant, which I, he was challenged for four games when I left to go to Dominican Republic. But I think that's a that's a touch of reality, too, to be – it's easy to be assistant. It's hard to be the head coach because all the problems and the concerns come to you. But um, I, I'm forecasted to retire from, uh, from health partners in 2025. So I don't know if it will coincide with this because you got to have something to do. The one thing in my wife, if, I don't know if she knows how to listen to this, but she knows I'm a 5 a.m. guy. Don't call me after 9 o'clock, but uh, I get up. I get up on the weekends. I just don't believe in, and like I tell her, I, I don't want to die in a bed. I want to die on my feet. I want to be moving around. Uh, so I, I plan to stay active, and I owe these kids too. They make me want to come. They make me want to be here. Uh, being around youth has its effect. Has it changed? Yes, but it, it's not to the point where it makes me want to walk away from them. Uh, you have to have a different coaching style now. You have to be a little bit more nurturing with the players that you have now. A uh, little bit harder when you've historically been that disciplinary coach. But you give in, take it. Um, again, for the guys that are leaving, the best compliment you get is from those that come back and the impact you had. There was a young man, and I'll close with this, if we just, you guys have more. There was a young man that was at Fridley, and I, I will leave him nameless. He wrote me, 
and this was 2010, and he was on the 2011 championship team, but he wrote me in 2010, and here's the letter, and I still have it. Coach Brazil, and he misspelled my name, no big deal. He says, I won't be able to go back to Fridley because I was involved in a situation. I know they won't play me. Can I come to Columbia Heights? Now, he was in some juvenile detention center. Being, being able to be released, he couldn't go to Fridley. He came, and I said, of course. I met with him, and Diedrich became his go-to person. Now, Diedrich, at the time, was full-time probation officer. Without that young man playing with us in 11, we would have never went to that state tournament. And that always impacted me because a lot of people said, I don't want this kid. And it was, it was weapons charged, the whole nine yard. And this kid recently is a father with two children. And he came to the gym and I lost it. Everybody was like, what's wrong with you, Coach B? I had to walk away because, man, I had no, I, I'm only human, but it broke my, to see this guy again and doing really well. Uh, but that letter, I keep that letter. I have that letter that he wrote me. And it was, you know, and you can tell he didn't have all the schooling and all the broken words, but this kid was, is always going to hold his heart. But that's why I want to coach. That's why I coach. Is a kid like him. I can't go back to Fridley. Can I come to Heights? And it didn't hurt that he was six foot something and could dunk standing up, but, but uh, and he wasn't great. We didn't start him. So, but he was an impact player, but that's why I do it. And when I don't have that fire to want to help a kid, uh, I probably will walk away. What is it like uh, taking maybe second chances on someone just like you said? I mean, sometimes it could come out great. Sometimes maybe burns you a little bit. How has that grown? A couple over of years ago, we had a, we had a situation where a player, we, we, we worked with the school to get him back. And less than a week being back, he had a different situation. That was heartbreaking because you give a part of yourself to trust the, uh, the youth, but they're kids. At the end of the day, I'm not coaching adults. So do I expect him to do something bad? Yes. Even though you give him a chance. We recently had a couple situations where I'm challenging, let's try not the negative approach. Try to give him a positive approach first, even though they've done wrong. Because what, what also happens with student athletes that makes mistakes is they only get the consequences. We never say, there's a movie where I, I don't remember the lady, but she starts out and she gives everybody in the class an A. You know, one of the classic lines of the movie is she said, no one's ever gave me an A. Well, maybe we should try to do that. Give them a positive even when they've done something negative and let them turn it. You know, maybe that's that break they needed. Oh, they trust me. You know, maybe they. So we've had we've done a lot of negative to a lot of kids this year. So recently I'll know later how much. But it's I'll tell you guys, it's made an impact on this student. I asked administration, try not giving him a negative. Throw him a bone. Do something positive with this kid, because that's all he gets. We don't know how these kids live at home. You know, I said, did you ask him, does he have a computer at home? Did you ask him when he gets home, does he get support? Just ask him. You know what he found out when he asked, too? He doesn't have neither of the, the two. So then one of the administrators at, at Heights have offered to meet with him and, and help him. And what do you guys think the outcome was? He's doing remarkable I just won't say their names for privacy, but he's doing really well. And it wasn't my suggestion, but I think we do that enough. Try a positive approach one time. It doesn't work with everybody. We know that. But sometimes we have to. But that's my drive with, with uh, as, as I was talking to Troy about taking the drive to Heights every day. Yeah, I remember um, when I was uh, in school at Columbia Heights, there was a, a young man on the basketball team um, 
you know, uh, was going through a lot of stuff at home and, you know, some of the students knew about it. And I think um, the basketball team really helped him kind of figure out things and um, real positive influence in his life. And I see him now um, with the, with a family and it kind of makes me smile every time I see him. Um, And I think that's another impact that opportunity I think sports uh, bring, but that's also why I think the mentor program is good because you guys may cross him in a different path, but if he sees Mo pulling him over or stopping or Troy stopping him, Oh wait, I don't mean that you're not going to go to jail, but I'm I'm just being honest. You have to enforce the law, but at the same time, they're going to tell you something that they're comfortable saying. And then they're going to tell a buddy, I know him, or this is what they helped me with in high school. I just think it's a positive thing that we give them positive first. They get the negative, man. They live the negative. And we don't, unless you're going to walk in their shoes, it's so difficult. It's just very difficult. And it's not a, again, I think a lot of people use those stories to, to, you get the heartwarming effect. But until you know, we had a, a player this year, we didn't know what was going on with him, and I put him in the office and he just broke down. You know, and this is a kid that, if you see him, he's always smiling on his face. You know, he's smiling. And again, I get their grades. I pulled him in to talk to him about the grades. Well, I asked that third question. Can you really tell me what's going on? You went from a high grade accomplishments. Well, it was something as benign as he no longer had a car. And he was on the thread, our private thread saying, I need a ride. I need this. Well, what's up? You know, he lost his car. You know, to you and I, as adults, we probably can afford to do that for a kid that, you know, cleans to his car after practice, he wants to go work. You know, you got to get there. Bus ain't going to get you to where you have to go. So it's little things like that, that I think we don't know. We, we, we don't walk in these kids' shoes, and it's hard. It's very difficult to be 16, 17 years old with the images that's projected between TikTok and Facebook and uh, yeah. the other. It just really is. I mean, these guys at the end of the game last night, one of them sets their phone there, and there's a whole group of them doing stuff on it. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> it's, but it's true, and I'm sure it got posted. And it got posted where every player on Fridley can see it. There's no question in my mind because yeah. they follow each other, but they also know each other. Yeah. yeah it was yeah. an incident in the game last night, and I turned to the coach. I said, come on, man. You know these guys know each other. They weren't going to swing a punch, or they were just talking. But that's the way it, that's the way it goes. Well, thank you, Coach. Um, it is Thursday, February 22nd. Um, Columbia Heights defeated Fridley last night, 93-86. And then tonight, uh, you're hosting Richfield and then have the regular season finale versus Park Center. Um, probably get this posted here next week, but okay. can you talk a little bit about those two teams and we can close it out? Absolutely. Uh, Richfield has a young man, uh, C.J. Armstrong, uh, one of the top scorers in the state, Uh uh, kind of a, we've talked to the University of Minnesota from our perspective. Uh, Dave Thorson and I are lifelong friends, and he's a, a guy with, a, he owes me though, because he got um, the kid from Colorado when he was at Colorado. But they better get CJ Armstrong. This kid's special. You guys have nothing to do. Come and see him tonight. He's going to he's gonna play well. Uh, Richfield, uh, like us, unless uh, De La Salle loses tonight, De La Salle probably wrapped up the conference. That was a, one of our goals that we won't reach. Uh, after that, we have Park Center. Some would say a meaningless game, but it's a game that the kids want to play. They're, they're one or two in 4A. So for us, it's to go, be on a positive note. 
the the big thing for us right now is the young man Zaire uh, Stewart has been uh, fractured wrist since our Bloomington Kennedy game at Kennedy. So we're hoping to have him back before the March 5th start of the playoffs. I believe we'll get a high seed for the playoffs, which puts us in a good position for that third match, if you will, for De La Salle to go to the state if we're fortunate enough. I don't want to look past any team. Uh, but quietly, I don't think there's anyone in that section uh, you got to have a little arrogance to be a coach that the number one team probably won't be the number one seed if we get uh, Zaire Stewart. We're, we're a tough basketball team to beat. I think they will compete. I think we have a, a pretty significant chance to get to the state tournament this year. And then once we get there, all games this year will be at Williams Arena and knock on some Formica or some wood, but we haven't lost at Williams for a state tournament. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, as a Columbia Heights High School alumni um, and a city employee, we wish you nothing but the best. Mm -hmm. And then uh, if you do make a state tournament run, we will talk to the police department for extra staffing just in case everyone goes to Columbia Heights and no, <laughs> <laughs> no one robs them. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I'm surprised you remembered that quote, man, but I sure said it. You could have, and I, it's in the paper. Yep. It's in my article that highlighted where my, uh, my, uh, Actually, my boss at work said, why would you make such a statement? I said, I was just saying that everybody was there. <laughs> that stand was packed. It was a great time. Once great again, uh, this is uh, Roll Call, a Columbia Heights Police Department podcast. On behalf of Will Rattler, myself, Officer Moe, Officer Troy, uh, best of luck with the rest of the season. And thank, thank you for you. coming on, Coach. Thank you very much.